built hardened scales and a glimpse deck that I'm going to be playing for like the future of modern. Yeah, but for right now, for one but day, for, play Urza. For Thursday, mm-hmm. gotta play the Urza. That's why you're getting sleeting ASMR for, I don't know, the next five seconds or so while I finish these 10 sideboard cards. Great. Urza's not really cutting it. Though, you know, it's probably great against Murktide. Probably can't lose to Murktide very often. That's true. Dylan was playing Murktide in the uh, Richmond uh, tournament mm-hmm. at SAG. And he played against an Urza deck that day twoed just like normal blue white Urza stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not that many cards you play that makes it different than anything else. <laughs> yeah. But he, he was just like aghast because he couldn't beat it. Couldn't possibly beat it. Yeah. Just too much white removal, too many construct tokens. There's just too many answers. You just like can't do anything. <laughs> Cavern of Souls on Artificer was involved. Oh my god. <laughs> like, he did not come to lose to Murktide. <laughs> nope. Yeah, and no, no Raghavan lives a turn cycle. Just just wild. <laughs> Don't know what else it beats, but, you know, maybe something. Certainly maybe I'll find out. <laughs> I just want to kill someone with Constructs. I think once, just like three <laughs> Constructs or whatever, as I failed to do anything else. And win the game that way. That's really my goal. <laughs> That's really doable, but that is also just a thing that like all of the Urza Saga decks do sometimes. I need you to, to not break my heart on this one, CCR. Okay, all right. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 292 of the MGG Grandcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Rappel. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. How's it going? You know, pretty good. A little hungry. Excited. To... I watched the entire PT, pretty much. Me I too. didn't watch Saturday because I was busy on Saturday, but I watched all of Friday and all of Sunday. So I'm yeah. pretty dialed in at the moment. Yeah, how about that fable of the mirror breaker? I mean, the card's pretty good. It's pretty good. Everyone knew it the second it was spoiled. I mean, like a month after it was spoiled. <laughs> yeah, it only took like a month for anybody to realize it was playable, so. It probably only took like two weeks. This I is mean, an arena game. Like, it took until like that. Well, championship. The championship, the champion, right? Not the mythic it, championship, but and like it was the like, set championship alchemy format or whatever (laughs) that's true (laughs) which is such a strange beginning for that card but now like that's all lost in the mists of time as we everybody has their own experiences with and against fable of the mirror breaker it's 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 good it's i mean if you asked anyone what was the most played card in the pro tour gonna be i think everyone would have said fable of the mirror breaker so it's not shocking but no but it was there in in huge numbers and you know a variety of versions of like Rakdos and Grixis but all like kind of doing the same thing at a lot of spots in the game just going to different sizes in the end game and then at the end of the day Nathan won with just like the most mid-rangey version that's just Shieldreds and Invoke Despairs and a, and a couple of Chandras to be fair we do have to go like kind of gigantic sometimes but I mean they asked him why he considered this instead of other decks 
like uh, Esper Legends or whatever, and he said, "Well, I wasn't gonna play any deck without Fable to Breaker." Yeah. <laughs> so that was right out. <laughs> I mean, makes sense. The deck that I'm playing in Pioneer, a much more powerful format than Standard. I- I've been playing Gearhole Creativity a lot, and it's like the worst Fable deck that you could possibly. Yeah, it's pretty bad at the- at doing the Fable stuff, but but Fable's still great in it because Fable's bonkers. Yeah, I-, I actually think Omnath is a worse Fable deck. Like, Fable is good because it makes your mana and lets you cast Brain Delight. But once yeah. you flip the Fable, it's like a non factor. It, does it doesn't do anything. At all. It can't, you don't even have like a dream in that deck to live with it. Like, at least in my, in, in creativity, you have the dream of like, ooh, what if I untap with this and, and play a Gear Hulk and then I could have two Gear Hulks? I once saw someone copy a Sylvan Karyatid so they could hard cast Tybalt. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you did it. Like end of turn copy. Yeah, end of turn copy enough. carry it. To go uh-huh. to the next turn. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, that that works. You you found a way. Other than that, you're just praying to get two reflections in play. That's that's truly incredible. But I mean, do you want to talk about anything about the PT specifically? I'm really glad Kane top aided. My favorite oh my god top eight. Yes. No, this was a great top eight. I was watching Kane's procession through the top eight with great interest. Was bummed to see them lose to Nathan in the finals, but also like we are creating a hell of a storyline here with Nathan's success at the premier event level. But yeah, huge shout out to Kane. What an awesome run. And and that was definitely the most exciting part of the PT for me. Yeah, I, I heard the commentators say this was Kane's first pro tour. And I didn't realize that. Oh, really? Yeah, but if so, that's like second place at a pro tour is very rare. I think only Josh Cho before had done it and like yeah. pro tour Avison. Restore. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. If true, because I don't I don't know if that is Kane's first Pro Tour. That that's a little surprising since he's been playing so much magic. But and, if it and was And Kane's been excellent. very good for quite a while. So yeah. So takeaways from standard, Fable is really powerful. You can go whatever size of rectos you want, but you can also just be I mean, and like the smallest that you can be now is have a couple of six mana Chandras in your deck, because you have to have some power in your deck. And we don't really need to worry too much about standard going forward, especially because uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker not actually rotating out of standard this year, as we learned. Yeah, that's pretty awkward. Let's let's get to that in a second, because I want to talk about like standard cover, not standard, pro tour coverage just mm-hmm. really quickly, because there were I got to watch a lot of coverage this weekend and there were things I liked a lot about it. Mm hmm where like the hand viewer was really excellent this is like the first time it's really been implemented well and that was i learned yesterday that was tan and grace and frank karsten doing that yeah like just standing by the players and recording their hands down like in real time and it was uh, really I mean, good huge shout outs to those those guys and the production effort that went into making that work because the hands were updated quickly and like even like attracts are resolved and then we the, the cards just pop up into the hand and it was great. Yeah, it, it was fantastic. It was one of the one of the best changes they've made to Pro Tour in a very long time. Mm-hmm. I also like how they did the draft rounds. I, I was actually really interested in the limited rounds this go round mm-hmm. because the limited format is very fun and very good to watch. Yep. Like a it lot is. of they followed Reed Duke because this is round one was draft, right? So they followed at the time undefeated reed duke their last pro tour winner reed did not do so great in that first draft but his games that we saw the first two rounds of reed playing and his games were all just like this is kind of a cube draft and that's what Mm -hmm. the draft format feels like and they covered all his picks and decisions and you had the cards on the screen the whole time and it was 
good to watch limited. It was. I I really enjoyed it, and uh, I even tweeted about how much I was enjoying watching it because I've played. I've done a bunch of drafts of this format, and so I know all the cards and that feeling of like when you're enjoying a format and you have some thoughts about the format, but then you get to sit down and watch people who have been really trying to understand it and and be good at it, and they get to sit down and draft. It, it's just a really fun feeling, and and you get like I get really into it, so I just this was great uh and a, a big component of that is just like this is a cool limited format yeah they did a really good job people said it was like an all-time great limited format which i maybe like maybe i just know it's very fun and yeah. i'm cool with that and it's very interesting to watch even the pros cause, mostly because there's like so many not just rares but like different kinds of slots in the mm-hmm. packs <laughs> like the multiverse yeah. legend thing and all you the never know what's gonna powerful. pop up in your pack yeah and the battles are all doing their own thing too. It's like it's pretty interesting, got a lot of stuff going on, but it's all still cohesive, which is why yeah. I really like watching it. I, I like playing it, and I definitely enjoyed watching it. But yeah, that's that's all I wanted to say about the pro tour. I think they did a really good job this time, especially compared yeah. to like the online only championship ones, which felt like I, I watched them because they're magic, but they did feel at yeah. a much less polished level than this production. No, and I i mean, we talked about this after the first Pro Tour, after they returned to that moniker. Like, the first Pro Tour was also excellent coverage. Like, the density of Magic playing time on the broadcast was extraordinary. And they kept that up this time. Yep. Mm-hmm. It was perfect. And then small improvements, like the like very quick updates to the hand viewer and stuff. I, I mean, they're just getting better and definitely need to give props to that when good stuff happens. And And this is like kind of the clearest good thing that has come out of the new era of premier play is like watching the pro tours is fun again and something that i look forward to like that's a good weekend when i get to just hang around at home make food watch the pt like it didn't hurt that the top eight was pretty cool it was a hell of a top eight and those those matches were really fun and yeah i i loved watching it having autumn's deck in the top eight was very helpful too to break up a little bit of the the fable mirror monotony monotony yeah. of the format. there was also the i don't remember the player who was playing ramp but they were also a non-fable yes. deck which with very rough exit to the tournament with at the hands of nathan stoyer but yeah i mean that's that's how that deck loses right is just like you get yeah, you duressed do out anything. of the game and don't do anything uh nathan's tweet uh, or maybe it wasn't nathan but someone had interviewed nathan when oh if you beat me, you get a pack of bees sponsored by like Ultimate Guard or whatever, because it's a pack of sleeves. Uh-huh. He said, hadn't had to hand out many of these this weekend. <laughs> 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 that is just chef's kiss. Yeah. I think that was in the finals to King as well. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, world champion into PT top eight into PT wind is a hell of a run, especially for a 21 year old kid. Mm hmm. Nathan's great. Yeah, Nathan's fantastic. He started a podcast recently. I think they're like two episodes in, but a high recommend from me. Oh, I haven't seen it. I will have to check it out. Yeah, he he does a, you know, there are players who are very good at magic and there are players who are good at communicating about magic. There are players who are good at magic who struggle to communicate about magic. I, Nathan is 
obviously very good, but he's also has the ability to communicate his thoughts clearly and, and helpfully. And I definitely recommend his podcast. Cool. Well, do you want to talk about standard changing like the format? Yeah, we stuff stays in for an extra year, which I think is good for multiple reasons. I think it will make the format better, but I also think it just makes it a little easier to buy in to, and get cards that are, are going to stick around for a little bit longer, which yeah, may yeah, be I, even I, a little more important than the format being good. I, I think this change is a strict positive. Like it, the, the change is instead of two, standard being a two-year rotation format, it is going to a three-year rotation format. Mm-hmm. I think that's just an excellent change. Yeah. Uh, I've wanted this for a while, mostly because especially when, and this was something Huey cited during the interview uh when you have standard being two sets and he didn't say this but i'm gonna throw it in and you're not Mm -hmm. adhering to like a a synergy driven block format every year Mm -hmm. the format quickly devolves into mid-range mirrors and they're not happy with the amount of mid-range stuff going on with a very little in between Mm -hmm. so they're hoping that a push to three-year standard will and i i agree with this be able to promote more cross synergy between different types of sets throughout the year and let the this is the obviously the best card in you know set that just came out or whatever yeah. stop dominating the format so much uh and this reminded me of when eldraine throne of eldraine came out and ignoring all the powerful cards that were in throne of eldraine for a second mm-hmm. but one of the big themes in throne of eldraine was night tribal which was a big theme in dominaria as well but Dominaria had just rotated out when Throne of Eldraine came in. Yeah. So the, you just kind of whiffed completely on all that Knight's energy stuff. And they printed zero Knights throughout the rest of the time Eldraine was in standard. So Except for like Knight of the Evan Legion at the very end of its legality. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, why did we do this? Like, why did we plan it like this? Yeah, it just feels like a miss. Right. Now, I know people have gotten like a little disheartened by the fact that you know Reckoner Bankbuster and Fable of Mirrorbreaker are going to be in standard for another year mm-hmm. but I am not and I'll like discuss why okay <laughs> uh, well for one if people hate Fable of Mirrorbreaker so much and Wizards thinks it's dominating even past it's like set due date or whatever mm-hmm. I think they'll just ban it like they're past collective company thing where they're just like yeah we should probably should have just banned this card we didn't think it was going to be in standard for that long because they had that's another card right. that extended its duration of standard legality uh, and before they had really changed their ban list policy so i think if fable continues to be a problem it will get the axe but i also think that card advantage like low ball card smoothing cards like reckoner bank buster and fable the mirror breaker really really shine in low powered formats like standard but they're not like that unfun to play against if you can do stuff that competes against it and hopefully i'm hoping that with a three-year period and i don't think fable specifically is going to get there because we don't have we, we're not allowed to dip back into the uh the past year of standard so the sets are going to be slowly trying to compete with fable instead of just already having a whole year of sets to compete with it yeah but like if a card like fable or reckoner bankbuster are the best cards in standard I think you can have 
go bigger strategies like just don't care about the small ball card range thing if you have enough stacked up cards like we see that in pioneer right like fable is good it's very good but there's enough strategies and cards where you some people just doesn't matter mm-hmm. and also just i don't think everybody who owns fables was expecting them to rotate out of standard this year anyways so if you ban them you're not really taking anything away from people like past what they expected you know by yeah, plus having you still them. play them in pioneer and modern like right <laughs> i it's saw like, a funny tweet and i don't think the value of, of fable is going to dip when it gets banned from standard like too significantly because people bought them for pioneer and for modern so yeah there, there was a, a funny tweet i saw where someone was disappointed in the three-year standard because it means they're gonna have to spend another year shuffling all their standard red black cards to their pioneer red black yes, deck and back and that's forth true <laughs> <laughs> and that i thought was a, a very funny take I feel like I've dominated the standard conversation. Did you? Did you want no, to? No, that's anything? fine. <laughs> no, I. I mean, I think this is a good change, and it will make me feel less resentful when I do have to buy standard cards for regionals or RCQ season or whatever. So that's good, and I do think that it will make the format largely better. I think, right? Like standard has been too small, too not synergy driven, so that like individual powerful cards really stood out and then we kind of descended into this mid-rangey thing where it's just about how good your threes and fours are yeah it's just how good the rate is yeah because you're not like assembling any two or three card overarching synergies anymore like your best synergy now is just what am i going to copy with fable the mirror breaker because it's already so good on its own yes they did print enough reanimation stuff and it happened to go so well with fable of the mirror breaker that that (laughs) became like a sub theme of the mid-range decks but it doesn't like super count. So I, I'm excited to see what three-year standard is going to look like, and I'm optimistic about it. Yeah, I do have one negative thing to say. And it's not even really about the change, because I think the change is a strict positive. I don't think there are any downsides to it. Mm-hmm. But I will say that I don't think this changes anything by itself about whether people are going to play standard. Like, yeah. you need to provide people with avenues to play standard like standard rcq season is going to help a lot like if you make all rcq standard people will play it and the three-year standard rotation schedule is going to be way easier to buy into it because you Mm -hmm. know you know next year when there's a standard rcq season or two years when there's standard rcq season i don't really know the schedule uh (laughs) you'll have cards that haven't rotated and you'll be fine to just pick up whatever you need yep but the at the end of the line like they need to support standard play more than they need to change the format itself though i am very thankful to the format changes yeah and i think doing both is really a key to making this whole thing work yeah and that they did say that the three-year rotation was only part one of their standard initiative so they are going to roll out more changes to i I don't know if it's still format specifically or how people play it or whatever but they said they were going to keep developing standard and make it more of a premier local game store play experience like it used to be like in the heyday before pioneer existed yeah so your store championship is standard or whatever yeah cool well i mean i'm excited like more formats are always good i i like when there is a good standard format to play and i get to play it which you know has been mostly on arena when it has been good but i would prefer to be able to just go to a tournament and play some standard so the last time i really played a lot of standard was when 
M19 or M20 was legal. It's like uh-huh. right before Nexus of Fate and Kethos the Hidden Hand were like in the format. That's the mm-hmm. last time I played a bunch of standard. Sure. Well, I did play a bunch of standard before companions were nerfed, but that was like for a completely unrelated reason. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the last time I played a bunch of standard, I was casting like Nissa Who Shakes the World, right? So yeah, I I had a perverse love for the Ikoria companions aren't nerfed yet standard format. Because, like, it just kind of felt like you could play anything and no one could stop you. <laughs> it's just complete non- Yeah, here's Luris. Okay. Fine. So I'm, I'm hopeful for standard changes. Yeah. Should we leave it at that and talk about Pioneer a bit? Yeah, well, let's do it. Because we're, we're the Pioneer Judgment Podcast or whatever yes. we're calling this segment. <laughs> whatever it is. I mean, just going to keep checking in on Pioneer. It's what I'm working on. I've been playing a ton on Magic Online, on my streams and stuff, and and with my testing teammates, and uh, trying to really get a, a a solid hold on the entire format. Looking at the challenges from this weekend, we see Rakdos and Mono Green still just kind of like blowing everything out of the water in terms of popularity. Uh, Saturday challenge, nine Rakdos midrange decks in the top 32, two of them in the top eight, five mono green decks in the top 32. On Sunday, 10 Rakdos decks in the top 32, four green decks in the top 32. Like these decks are really popular, Rakdos especially, and showing up at least to a Magic Online tournament without a good plan for Rakdos is just asking to get like thrown into a locker and beat up. The, the format is really heavily defined by getting thought seized and you have to understand how your deck deals with that concept. Yeah, I think this was a defining factor of the format when it was like put into existence too. <laughs> I know, but it's like even more so now. I feel like uh, there's yes. just like Rakdos is more popular online at least than it's ever been. And Grease Fang is playable and Neoform is playable. And so there's just like a constant flurry of thought seizes happening and, to you at and, all. Moments. And in the short term, people are still doing rogues, right? Yes. So that's another thought seize deck. Yes. You can play against rogues. Actually, though, rogues has more or less disappeared. I don't think I've played in like the last five or so leagues that I've played. I haven't played against it a single time. So I think people are catching on. We talked a, a little bit about it last week and didn't have like a fully fleshed yeah, out. We were very low. At least I, at least I was. I was very low on this deck. Now, after just like seeing it play out and also playing against it and like stomping it with mono green, which if you're playing a blue tempo deck, you should be ahead against mono green, right? But the threats are just so bad and the reliance on filling your opponent's graveyard for your cards to do stuff like sometimes like playing mono green against it. Sometimes I would sneak a Karn into play, get a Tormod's Crypt. And then just like on turn six, their counter spells are turned off and I can do whatever I want to do at that point. So it, rogues isn't good and don't play it. Yeah. Drown in the Lock is not actually that strong of a card. Yeah. yeah. Not when you're enabling it by milling them. Playing a bunch of bad creatures. And putting, yeah, with bad creatures and then like putting flashback spells into their graveyard or fueling their delve spells or whatever you're doing. Yeah. And the problem is like you're not, you can't really play like graveyard hate per se because it's counter to a lot of your cards. And you don't want to do that in the first place because not a lot of pioneer decks have a very heavy graveyard reliance. But mm-hmm. everyone's got like their oh, one uh, card. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's a resource that you get to put some escape card into your deck to use if you if you haven't used your graveyard for anything else and most people most decks have something like that rogues is not it fairy mastermind is still a really good card but that's it's not enough yeah let's not forget fairy mastermind was the reason people started playing this deck and it remains good yeah just none of the other cards are soaring thought thief however not a great (laughs) card not in pioneer big thumbs down on that one at one point playing against chris he attacked me with three soaring thought thieves and they were so they were you know four threes and then i cracked a tormod's crypt and i blocked two of them and i took one damage uh so it's not is that is that when he digitally destroyed the deck and never played it again yes i think he is off it entirely good because i told him he shouldn't play it yeah uh winners of the challenges this week uh kruga fires won one of the challenges uh collins then picked up the deck to give it a shot and just immediately 5-0'd in like 90 minutes with the deck yeah this is an enigmatic incarnation deck yes so karuga enigmatic incarnation you're like bevy of one ofs yes <laughs> as a, you're a used couple, to seeing a couple of sevens to get off a of leyline binding i mean this occupies the metagame space that leyline binding decks generally do it smashes rakdos like makes it look silly it does have a reasonable plan against mono green and then it has just like focused sideboard cards for the matchups that are tough there's it's like a four mystical dispute four deafening clarion sideboard because it's like oh line of the void yeah four ley line of the void like oh you're attacking with cheap creatures well that's really good against the rest of my deck so i'm gonna put all these deafening clarions in oh you have counter spells that's very good against the rest of my deck but if i play four mystical disputes maybe i can steal them so this deck actually does seem at least online pretty solid right now because of the density of Rakdos and green in the metagame there are a fair number of decks that just kind of take its lunch and i think they're probably a little more popular in paper than they would be online uh stuff like blue eye control and lotus field which are also decks that like my archetype of choice is not good against so you have to kind of choose pioneer is one of those formats we have to choose what you're beating and what you're pretending doesn't exist and right. this is a deck that does that and to be fair i do think blue white control and lotus field are very low percentage decks mm-hmm. like in terms of play rate yeah uh even even in paper the lotus field it rises significantly in paper for some reason like all these rcs that happen lotus field just has such a higher representation than you would expect yeah and in our local RCQs, it is a, a lotus. We live in a lotus field dense area for whatever reason. We can just can't even go to a local event without tripping over a bunch of flowers. It just doesn't yes. happen. Yep. <laughs> We're lotus eaters. Yeah. <laughs> for what it's worth, I really like this enigmatic incarnation deck mm-hmm. because it has a lot of the aspects that I like about the bring to light deck that it's like a really good mid range deck that plays a lot of powerful top end stuff. Mm-hmm. but i think it dodges a lot of the i'm sure it has its own problems because you'll get to play cards that cost less than three yes <laughs> but i like the it just seems like better to me in a way i don't really know how to describe like you you get to play more cards that do things you don't have to always oh i drew my selfless cliff weaver i guess we're dead mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean just you, you can have your like oh i drew my seven drop thing like that yes but like happens. I, I have watched so many games of Omnath decks where 
you are you have your plan you, you it's your opponent's turn you're thinking about what you can do and you're like okay i need to bring delight to bring like my hand i'm gonna bring delight for i need for tibble or for or yes. tibble and then or you just glyph weaver and then you immediately draw it or your fable ticks up and you're like okay i'm gonna discard this bad card and then you draw it because you drew extra cards that turn and <laughs> yeah it's just you can go from just losing the game on that spot and it's it, it feels bad yeah, I mean, as it stands right now, after seeing the Kruger Fires deck play out some, this is at the top of my Leyline Binding deck that beats up on Rakdos like ranking. That this is the one that I would choose if that's the the type of deck that I want to bring to the tournament. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Also, I need to read the text of Helio at the Radiant Dawn because I don't I don't know that one. That's it. Mostly new... is just a big Oromancer. It just returns an enchantment from your graveyard to your hand. Okay, what does it do on the other side? Some nonsense. It was a, it's a Vidalcan Orrery. Yeah, unless you cast that's, your spells. That's pretty good. That's, yeah. Especially with... Uh, well, it doesn't work with Fires of Vengeance, right? Uh, no, it does not. So that's disappointing. So maybe it's just intuitive thing. <laughs> well, sometimes you don't have Fires of... Like, I had to... I was playing, you know, creativity against Collins because we were testing out basically, like, how does this deck function? Are you just like 20% against decks that have make disappear in them? And you're not. You're better than that because you have Fable to force them to do something on three. And then you can just like keep hammering fours into their counter spells. And if you get one through, you often are going to do something really, really powerful. So it, it has some legs there, but definitely it is a weakness playing against a counter spell deck. But like Heliod flipping, like the threat of Heliod flipping was enough that like I, I had to go ahead and kill it when I had the opportunity to and stuff. It was kind of scary. Okay, that's neat. I, I like that. This, this deck's pretty cool. I am an enjoyer of looking at this deck list. Yeah. Even though it plays four Savai Trial, rare card to see as a four of. <laughs> yeah, I that's think... That's the Mardu one. I think that's because it both... So it casts Fable, it casts Leyline Binding, and it works with a couple other Triomes to give you one mana Leyline Bindings. So Ketria Triome specifically. Yes, yeah. And so it it ends up being like actually really good for the deck. So But yes, it is weird that the the land that doesn't cast any part of Enigmatic Incarnation is like a four of in the deck. But that's that's what your five mana mana base does to you. Hey, or five fires of invention that just gets you to the enigmatic right. incarnation. Yeah. I mean, fires of invention does count as a part of your mana base in this deck for sure. It does for all uh, five yeah. color decks. Like normally, I'm not a big fan of Cavalier of Dawn for its yes. triple white mana, <laughs> but, but you're you rarely know, paying that fires. mana cost. Yeah, <laughs> creativity did win the other challenge. This was a worm creativity deck. I can't say whether. Gearhole creativity or a worm-based creativity deck is like the abs the better choice. I think that they're both fine and doing have similar-ish matchup spreads. You just kind of trade some percentage points in one place for percentage points in another place based on what your creativity is doing. I do like some of the worm lists that issue the Xenagos combo and just have two worms in the deck, and that gives you a little more flexibility with how much you are. Uh, creativitying for and I, I definitely got got by that playing mono green where my opponent just like turboed out a single world spine worm and i hadn't established a real board yet and then they just killed me with it and, and you're like whoa that's a 15 15 
Right. Well, and I was I was playing think because I they were I knew that they were on worm creativity, so I was playing as if they could only cast it for x equals two in order to be effective. But then they made a worm a turn before I was expecting to, and I just died to it. Yeah, and then you can't really do that if you're playing one worm, one Xenagos, because if you hit the Xenagos, it's garbage. Yeah, I you know I do like these builds. You do give up some against like. You know, you don't kill your Lotus Field opponent the turn you cast Creativity, and you might die. But you're also a lot of these lists are cast are playing Bitter Reunion, so you still have some amount of just thirty U in the deck. I have played a bunch of Mono Green over the past week. It is extremely powerful. There was a segment on, I mean, most of the last episode of Nathan Stoyer's podcast, they're talking about all of the pioneer decks and pretty much everyone they were going through when they like mentioned the mono green matchup, they were like, but you know, I think that Pelucranos makes this matchup a little bit worse <laughs> for this deck, like almost every deck. And I think that that's true. I think that Pelucranos is really good against a lot of stuff. It's good against Rakdos because it gives you a threat that you can flip. And then you have a warm coil engine against the grindy deck. Great. Uh, it's good against grease fang, because you have an extra reach blocker, and sometimes they they do the thing. They put Parhelion in play, and then you block one of the angels, you take nine damage, and then they have an angel, and you still have a Pelucranos. Like, there's, there's a bunch of spots where just having this thing is better, and also it works super well with your Kiora and gives you those mid-rangey draws that are really powerful, especially against counter magic. Card is very good, and the deck is good. And, and one of the reasons it's so, like, daunting to play against is a lot of times... The mono green opponent's cards don't matter, and the deck loses to itself way more than it loses to your opponent's cards. You can help it along by killing the elves, and then they get stuck on two or three lands and don't really like do anything. Or you kill their elves, and then they put a troll into play and an oath of Nyssa, and then their Nykthos just you know, they didn't cast a single actual ramp spell, and they're still casting Cavalier on turn four, and then you get run over. So it, it's the deck's success is so dependent on how. It draws, and you mostly lose the games where you mulligan to five, but you mulligan to five so much that it has like a pretty normal win percentage. It uh, also has the incredible value of winning the die roll is mm -hmm. just an incredibly huge swing. Yeah, huge gap in your win percentage on the play of the draw. Yeah, that that's why I think Monogreen is a really powerful deck, but I don't fault anyone for just like not playing it even if they know it's like quite good because there's just a lot of factors not in your control that kind of determine how well you're going to do. Yeah. And if you're looking for agency, you know, there's some decisions, especially in like weird Karn spots and stuff that can be really fun to puzzle your way out of. But if you're looking for agency, generally this deck is not it. Yeah, but it's strong. It's strong. Yeah. Can't disagree with that. And if you keep seven a lot of times on the day, you'll win the tournament, you know? Mm. Like, there's nothing your opponents can do about it. Except that I think that the blue-white matchup now has become actively bad for Mono Green. I, I don't want to play against blue-white with Mono Green. Just the density of lay down arms and change the equations and just, like, really efficient answers. And you're just really trying to guess which threat you can play out to make their answers awkward. And if you guess wrong at all, or if your threats don't just like perfectly play out to make their answers awkward, then they just 
trade really efficiently and then land a Teferi and you're dead. Like you just can never win after that. And uh, like the games where you're just like, I finally, I stuck a Cavalier. This is great. And they're just like, tap a land, lay down arms. And you're just like, what is my life? What is happening here? <laughs> I laying down my arms. I'm marvelous now. Yeah. And we need those arms to fight with. Because, yeah, or else you're just like you control. throwing your body against your blue white opponent and that's not going to kill them and cavaliers that's like six arms depending on how you count it it's an or elemental it could be in any yeah. shape <laughs> um and and actually in in a weird way like basically every deck that i am enjoying and likely to register just gets absolutely housed by blue white control which has kind <laughs> of been true for every deck that i've ever enjoyed in magic like throughout my entire career it's so bizarre that we have such opposite opposite experiences, experiences. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i'm always the advocate for blue eye control <laughs> i mean clearly this is in my i'm acting out of my own self-interest telling people the deck is bad so they don't register it right uh, yeah not this uh, time though i do think the deck is bad though oh because just because it is actively horrible against Thoughtseize. Yeah, that's true. Once they have seen your hand and then just know how to sequence around the cards you have in your hand, you lose like a huge amount of the deck's power. You've, they've also taken your one piece of interaction that was the best against their hand. Like, here's the thing that stops the Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Thoughtseize it away. Resolve Fable of the Mirror Breaker. What happens now? Oh, you just die. Uh, so... You know, that's that's kind of the spot that Blue White is in now. It's like really good against every deck that's not thought seizing it, but when it gets thought seized, it like I, this is a a like pillow fort prison deck, and then take one piece out of the hand and it's no longer a prison deck. One caveat though, because I do think that the the Ractus matchup is not great. Mm -hmm. But from my understanding, Grease Fang is very poor against Blue Eye Control. Sure. I, I believe that, but I don't care that much about Grease Fang. I think Grease Fang is... I'm it lower is a on Grease deck, Fang. Like, you you than, can't just like play Thoughtseize okay. and beat Blue Eye Control. That's right. kind of what I'm saying. Like You need you need Thoughtseize and individually good cards, yeah. Right, which is why I don't know how Neoform would stack up against it either. Mm -hmm. Because that's also like really trying to put a bunch of cards together. And against a deck like Blue Eye Control, an Atraxa is often not going to be it. Yeah, I... I think that the combination of Thoughtseize and founding the third path should demolish. Mm -hmm. And Pierce is good too. Yeah. And and you have Stubborn Denial. Like, you know, I think that your interaction functions cheaply enough and effectively enough that I think that's probably pretty fine for Neoform. But in particular, like playing against Rakdos with Blue White just seems horrible. Yeah. And I again, I want to stress that I do not recommend any deck with a bad matchup to Rakdos. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Like, what are you doing? Like, come on, you're going to fight at least two of those in a large tournament, probably more. Yeah. And I don't think that any paper tournament is going to be as Rakdos dense as the online metagame. I think the online metagame has gotten pretty extreme, but it's still going to be somewhere between 15 and 20% of the metagame, and that's a lot. I mean, I, I do expect Dallas Dallas to be relatively Rakdos heavy. Mm -hmm. Like I, I reflecting online more than generally, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, more than your local RCQ probably. Yeah, exactly. As far as my creativity build goes, this is the deck I'm high on right now. I'm currently... I had a nice little run where I trophied two leagues in a row, and then I, you know, started another league and won my first match there. Currently 11-0 with I haven't it, played but, since then. <laughs> well, I had to put it down to test some Neoform stuff, so... I am happy with my build right now. I did the thing that I talked about. I cut the Volcanic Spites. I'm playing Fading Hopes instead. They were really good. I had like a, a five turn cycle sequence where my opponent just like cast Shieldred and I've returned it to their hand with Fading Hope or Divide by Zero or a Gear Hulk casting one of those. And my opponent just like kept playing Shieldred and I kept returning it to their hand. And then eventually <laughs> I hard cast a Shark Typhoon and then bounced it with a shark typhoon in play and then my opponent had had enough and and conceded the game and volcanic spite obviously would have been nothing in that spot and and i've i've been bouncing a lot of trolls uh it is fine against mono i've just been happy with the uh fading hope over the two mana three damage burn spell which is you're only happy to have against like exactly spirits basically I, i don't know like deck has just felt comfortable and powerful to me and it's what I'm high on right now. I don't think it's a metagame breaking deck or anything like that. I think it just like suits my play style and people kind of run into things a little bit and don't really understand the effect of getting their spell divide by zeroed. And then a couple turns later, like that was a really key thing that they probably should have played differently with regards to and so maybe when people learn to play against the interaction in the deck a little bit better it will become a little bit weaker because this version is really not a combo deck it's really a control deck just with a big like hammer at the top end and you live and die based on how well your interaction matches up with your opponent's decks and right now i think the interaction in the deck make disappear in particular matches up really well against a lot of stuff in the format yeah, I, I like decks like these where they're just kind of playing a normal game, mm-hmm. but then they have a little bit of what I like to call free win percentage, yeah. where you just like have the early magma opus and the early creativity and you just like are huge favorites win from there. Yep. Like it doesn't happen very often, but sometimes you just get that free win percentage and that's like really desirable in a deck to me. That's why I think Scam is so good because you're just like a deck but right. occasionally you win like what 7% of your games or something on turn 1 <laughs> which is free cuz that's what you're looking for right you 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 have good cards your opponent has good cards you're 50-50 and then you you steal 7% by having this nut draw and then then there you go you're a 57% deck okay, well yeah that's not quite how math works but that's I do how enjoy math it. works <laughs> let's get Jarvis in here he'll tell me i'm right uh no he won't <laughs> he'd be so mad We'll just keep using the word exponential until it loses all meaning, and then we'll win any argument with Jarvis. Oh, because he'll just shut down and be so upset with us. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to lose Jarvis's friendship that way, though. No, that's that's fair. Especially since he's been helping you test. <laughs> what? I just like Jarvis generally. Come on. No, but also... Yes. Actually, that's been really nice... Uh, each of the streams that I've been doing has been, you know, a little bit more successful than the last, like a few more viewers, few more followers than picked up the last time. And I think a big part of that has been just that a bunch of the streams have been our testing sessions. And it's just like this last one today was just me and Collins and Max on a call playing stuff against each other, talking about what we were learning and, you know, joking and having fun and having a legitimate good time, though. Uh, like 
kind of ignoring the fact that we were on stream and I, I am fortunate to have people that I can do that with. And I know that not everybody and, and not, not at all times in my life and like magic playing time, have I been able to get people together to do this. And so I, I think it's, I like being able to put it up there and let people watch it. And if they don't have that sort of thing, then they can, you know, come hang out in chat and be a part of it. And it's, it's been really fun so far. Yeah. It's good vibes. I'm just sad that I, I work a normal hour job in the, in an office. So I can't watch all yeah. the time. I, I was happy that I didn't have to work in the office uh, for either of the two pro tours this past couple of weeks. I watched that was nice. Just having Friday, just having a pro tour on yeah. in the background. <laughs> Uh, Tannen stopped by and, and he was actually like the first person to stop by my stream today, which is really, really sweet of him. Cool. But he, uh, I asked him how he was and he was like, yeah, I'm pretty tired Dead. because he, yeah. <laughs> he covered the fab pro tour one weekend and then the magic pro tour the next weekend. <laughs> and two completely different roles too. Yes. Yes, that's true. He had to completely switch like how he, right. <laughs> and can he, and especially for... I mean, both. Every, anytime you're doing coverage, you have to know a bunch. But having to know like all the cards in the format of two different games and being able to recognize them by art very quickly is yes. not trivial. No, yeah. He had to know the cards in standard. This wasn't just like a show up type and, and of thing. Yeah. And, yeah, that's true. And drafts. And, and to be able to add those cards to the hand viewer. And what, like, if he and Frank were doing that they couldn't have been the only ones doing that for all of the feature matches right that, they had to... that is the only people i asked who was responsible for it and tannin only said him and frank so that's wild that sounds frank like chimed so... in later and said like thanks tannin he didn't mention anyone else either so my goodness yeah that's my guess but there were like multiple of these matches going on at the same time i mean like i guess you could do it for like two matches but my goodness i i i don't know what the setup was but it's it's still impressive. Yeah. Well, thanks thanks to those guys. Shout out to them. The coverage was improved drastically by their work. So. Mm -hmm. And thank you know thanks Tannen. I'm sure you're listening to us. You you're, you're not busy or anything. So <laughs> thanks for talking my CCR stream. Yeah. He knows I appreciate him. I made that clear. Okay. Uh, any more thoughts or questions about Pioneer, or should we move on to aftermath? No, I don't have any more pioneer thoughts. I think I think we've covered about everything that's cool. going on right now. So you seem to have more developed opinions about aftermath than <laughs> I've like had the energy to create. So I do have developed opinions of aftermath. <laughs> so I just want to lay out the like skeleton of the set. Mm -hmm. Fifty cards. Five card boosters and a token. That's no my rare, ideal pack card. size. I just yeah, want no five yeah, cards. Uh, you can't have two rares in a pack, but it is not guaranteed. There's a foil in every pack, if that's your thing. It's one it of is not. It's a foil. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no special foiling like the collector's boosters from like Modern Horizons 2 or whatever, where they're etched and framed mm -hmm. and whatever. It's just like normal garbage foils or sorry rainbow foils or curly foils or whatever you want to call uh-huh <laughs> the foiling process that makes your cards unplayable yeah 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 that one there is no way to draft this set 
they are drafting it on arena in some weird event style yeah i'm imagining the way they're doing it is jumpstart but there's no actual way to draft this set well i think the way they're doing it on arena is that it's still mom draft but they stick an aftermath card in each pack basically there's like an aftermath slot kind of weird but i'm game yeah but but in paper if you're gonna draft with aftermath it has to be like this custom thing that you make up because it's not supported or wizards doesn't care about it Mm -hmm. i'm curious how you feel about (laughs) you know no draftable randomized booster packs uh it makes it feel really ignorable to me i guess Mm -hmm. it makes it feel like not a a real set uh because like the cards don't come in front of me like when i'm fully engaged in magic and i it's my main game and it's my main focus of attention not just for the podcast and stuff but just because i'm doing magic like a set will come out and i'll do 40 or 50 drafts of it and then those cards live in my head basically forever because i experience them through limited and then i have stories about them i have uh, like you know thoughts and opinions about them because they have all existed in games that i've played uh, and you get to lose to like every combat trick in the format yeah yeah and and so uh, you know the then those exist like gather courage is like all right <laughs> yeah i've been gather courage like okay you got me like i i know these things and so when cards don't show up in limited they almost don't exist to me you know like i i was looking at i was watching jarvis's stream today and he was looking at that uh legacy cascade storm deck that's just like all cards from various commander decks and stuff it's it's mostly commander legends yeah okay yeah and you know there's just like 20 cards not 20 different cards but like 20 of the cards in the deck are just cards that i don't know what they do from their name because i've never played those limited sets so i've never even seen them as junk in the pack they've never gone by you know like i know invasion of theros i've never cast it but it's been a 13th pick in a bunch of packs that i've seen so i've seen that card and so I don't know how much this, how true this is for other people, but a fundamental way for how I consume Magic the Gathering cards and like experience the content is through limited. And so when it's not, when that it doesn't go through limited, a lot of the cards simply do not exist for me. Uh, that That's fair. I don't solely go through limited because I actually do look at all of the commander cards and products and stuff like that, just because mm-hmm. I want to know what all the cards are. Mm-hmm. Some of them are interesting. Some of them are like, we're just doing this because we're doing it, I guess. Like the last year, the Warhammer 40k decks peak Watsy design in in some of my eyes. They like were I very think those cool. Sets were very good. Yeah, and and uh, if they do a good enough job on stuff, then I do end up seeing the cards, and they, you know, so. But it it creates like a higher bar for like what you must have pulled off in order. But for... then you look at like Crimson Val Commander decks, and there's like two of them, and one of the colors isn't represented and you're just like oh these cards are all garbage and (laughs) why did they even do this like it doesn't but okay whatever so i would see these cards regardless i did hear maybe not complaints the right word but people are like huh this aftermath set why is it a booster pack if we're just you know if it's not game pieces because that's their reason for like getting around loot box laws or whatever whatever they're like garbage. right shouldn't they like distribute aftermath and like like a, a a box a crate or whatever like that you just get the set see the reason is money oh okay 
And what I think is hilarious, I'm not even opposed to this, like, by its face, because mm-hmm. I also play Flesh and Blood, and in that set, there are, they've printed three different expansions where it's not draftable, it's only for constructed, and they're full sets, they're just, like, 200-some cards, they're not just 50 mm-hmm. cards, and they're just booster packs, and I thought it was hilarious that uh, Brian Gottlieb, who works on Flesh and Blood, was on a, a podcast for Flesh and Blood, talking about kind of like getting interviewed so like you know this set is uh not draftable why why do we keep making them like this <laughs> and he and he basically honestly gave the correct answer of money like we just yep this is how you sell more stuff that's how you sell booster packs that's how you sell cards <laughs> yep so I, i'm not really against 50 card sets or anything like that or or non-draft sets Mm -hmm. Uh, because like cards that are legal and legacy came from commander decks like that's a thing that happens too yeah what bothers me about this bet specifically is that one of their core i read all the design articles for aftermath because i was very interested in this is the first time they've ever done anything like this right so Mm -hmm. i was interested in what they had to say about it what watsy had to say about it so one of their reasons for making the set specifically in a standard lens was that they liked not being beholden to any set mechanics and they were free to just kind of put whatever cards they wanted to put into standard without being, you know, oh, there's, you know, toxic in this set or incubate in this set. So we have to like work around that and whatever. Just like drop cards in, have a small number of cards to shake up standard and kind of move from there. That's like one of their big reasons for doing this kind of epilogue set is what they call it. That sounds like... uh a problem that's already been solved by the concept of corsets. Yes. But ignoring that because corsets don't exist and mm-hmm. can't hurt us anymore. Like mm-hmm. we haven't had a corset in years. <laughs> uh, this is a to me not that great because we see it how it works in alchemy, which is to say that it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. Unless they've made a mistake, in which case they nerf the card like immediately. So and don't refund your wild cards. Yeah, and don't refund your wild cards. <laughs> and if you look at the Aftermath set, I think it is extremely, very clearly designed for Commander, first and foremost. Dude, there's so and... many cards that reference the number of players in the game. Yes. And standard play is secondary or possibly not really a consideration for the set. Like, they, there are cards because they're cards, and some cards that are good in Commander are good in Standard. Mm-hmm. But they're not good in the same ways or in the same generalized ways. And, like, even the list of cards we pulled, we've got, like, what, three, six legendary creatures just in the cards we wanted to talk about. <laughs> and to be fair, the cards that I pulled were mostly... But my my selection process was mostly interested by cards that I think are funny for some reason. So, sure. <laughs> so i I think this set is dishonest from the get go. Mm-hmm. Like uh, that's what I don't like about it. L- like this is a commander expansion. Yeah. It's not really trying to do anything for standard. Or if it is, they've severely overestimated like the quality of these cards. I think. Yeah, I didn't really see anything in there that I'm like. And, and I'm not saying that like none of these cards are going to be playable in standard or anything, but none of the designs were such that they're like inspiring that I see a card and I'm like, I want to build a standard deck with that in it the way that 
you know, magic cards should be compelling. You should see a card and you should start daydreaming about the decks that you can put it in. And these cards don't really feel like they're targeted towards two player formats to make you start like daydreaming about them in that way. Yeah, and the worst part is when you've like identified that this card is printed for commander, you're like, oh, this card just like is expected to be played when your opponent has way more life and you have soul rings in your deck and you can play like a 12 turn game or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's just like not the case. Yeah. For standard. <laughs> I mean, honestly, there could be 12 turns in a game, but I, I want to read the templating of uh Plarg and Nasari. I mean, we can, we can just, like, jump into cards. I think I'm done ranting if you just want to talk about cards. Yeah, I mean, I think this just leads into this card because I the text box of this card is very funny to me. This is a 3 red red 5-4 legendary orc afrit. At the beginning of your upkeep, each player exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card. An opponent chooses a non-land card exiled this way. You may cast up to two spells from among the other cards exiled this way without paying their mana costs. So if you need me to repeat that, I understand. I'm not going to, but it just reads so weird. Each player flips cards until they hit a spell. The way it works in a two-player game is that your opponent picks one of those cards. You can't cast that. You can cast the other card. But we so have you're this... always getting the worst card, yeah. You're, you're getting the worst card of two. But we have this, you may cast up to two spells from among the other cards exiled this way, but there's only one other card exiled this way in a two-player game. So it's this like really unparsable text box that's crafted to make it not too powerful in Commander. Because if this flipped, you know, everybody flipped their deck and then your opponent chooses the best spell and you can't play that and then you played the three worst spells, that would be too good the second best spell and the third best spell and not the fourth best spell that's exactly the right power level and then the in order to accomplish exactly that the wording of this card got like absolutely like mauled so you just can't read it like a magic card anymore it up to two there's only one spell left what what are you talking about yeah that that, that really just hammers home the uh this is a standard add-on Re really yeah like I, i'm super okay with having super weirdly worded cards for commander in 200 something standard sets like there's more than enough room mm -hmm. but when you're like mission statement is to make add-ons to standard and you throw out a commander card a clear commander card like this into it it's yeah. just like all right stop lying to me please <laughs> it, right it, it does feel like a misrepresentation at that point also the fact that that was like they had to make this specific power level nerf to this five drop that triggers on your upkeep seems yes. not worth it to me. Like triggers on your upkeep to do a thing that is less powerful than Atali's ETB. Just yeah, play card it. Is just five just, mana for a five four that does not do anything until your next turn. Just play Atali if you want to do this, right? Like it's more reliable and more powerful. And it's got a two color color identity for your commander. Yes, that's huge. That's way better. <laughs> you get to play green cards. And in Commander, where green is like the best the like it's the best and second best colors. Yeah, I don't I don't actually know that, so I'm just gonna just gonna agree with you. <laughs> Alright, but if you had any cards you legitimately wanted to talk about, we can we can do one of yours. I did legitimately want to talk about a couple cards, because I think there are a couple cards that are pretty cool. Yeah unfortunately the first card i'm going to talk about is another card that's like references the number of players 
So it, it kind of reads like you're not supposed to play it anywhere but Commander. But I, I do think this card's reasonable, mm-hmm. uh, which is open the way. Uh, this is XGG, and X can't be greater than the number of players in the game. So just before I read the rest of the text, I'm going to clarify <laughs> that if you're in a two-player game, like standard, X can be one or two. Or so zero. This, or, or zero. <laughs> it does, it's not going to be zero. <laughs> <laughs> so you can play this for three mana or four mana. Mm-hmm. What the card reads is reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal X land cards and put those onto the battlefield tapped and the rest on the bottom in a random order. Uh, I, I actually think this card is fine. It, it is a ramp card that is variable cost. Like mm-hmm. sometimes you want explosive vegetations in your deck. We've seen Battle of Zendikar, uh, Invasion of Zendikar, excuse me. Yeah, top eight of the Pro Tour. Top eight of the Pro Tour was very instrumental in ramping out. Like sometimes you just do need an explosive vegetation effect. Yeah, dude, and we, we, we identify, I mean... It's stupid to pat ourselves on the back for this or whatever, <laughs> but I feel like we called it pretty good when we were just like, this is a standard where explosive vegetation is probably pretty good. And the explosive veg- vegetation is pretty good in the standard yeah. format. I mean, the top end was pretty clear to identify too. I, we, we both knew Atali and Atraxa were good. So, yep. <laughs> But this card specifically, like, is an explosive vegetation. It's a weird one, right? You don't get to search for the lands. So you can't like get basics to fix your mana right but it can grow any land like it's just the first two you find so it can put non-basics into play Mm -hmm. Uh, but what's important to me about this card is that it can be a bad rampant growth and an explosive vegetation like depending on how you need your curve to act like it can be three mana get one land or four mana get two lands which is something that not a lot of actually no other explosive vegetation does like they're always four mana get two lands You, Mm -hmm. you don't have the option to be like i don't have a fourth land and i've got two explosive vegetations in my hand if you had open the way instead of explosive vegetation, you could just like play one on three, play one on four. Yeah. No, I'm in for that. That sounds fine. And clearly the mana base of these five color decks can fit like, you know, this costs X green green, which is a little scary, but we We're already playing Topiary Stomper. Yeah, and that's the problem exactly. with like right now is the Topiary Stomper into battle or into invasion is much better because the Topiary Stomper can just attack the battle. <laughs> yes, which we saw, which is very good. Yeah. Uh, so I don't I don't expect open the way to to open any ways into standard right at this moment. But it but can it be is, a piece of a deck like that for sure. It, yeah, it can be a piece of a deck. Uh, but I, I do expect like the curve right now of Topiary Stomper into Invasion of Zendikar to be not uncommon. Especially since Topiary Stomper does not rotate in a year. Or not until another year, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's an extension of life. <laughs> do I get yeah. to talk about all my cards because all yours were just like memes? Not all of mine were memes. Okay, but, can we do a non-meme card? Yeah, we can do a non-meme card. I think Nissa Resurgent Animist is really interesting. It says two and a green for a 3-3 legendary elf scout with landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, add one mana of any color. Then, if this is the second time this ability has resolved this turn, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal an elf or elemental card. Put that card into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. It... This is kind of like a weird baby Omnath in a lot of ways. It comes down and then playing lands gives you mana and cards. And the cards it gives you, elementals are the best cards in modern. So mm-hmm. you play this, you play like on, on your turn four or if you've ramped or whatever, but you play this, you play a fetch land, 
then you get three mana and a card from playing your fetch land. That seems perfectly acceptable and potentially really powerful to me. The risk, I think, is that you like play this, you play your fetch land, and then you just draw another Nisso with yeah, it. That's what I was gonna say. That's like the only downside is, Which is you can get an elf card. <laughs> it is a downside, but they probably want to take your Nissa off the board because it just represents like a lot of mana and cards the next turn. So they're probably gonna kill this if when you pass the turn. Uh, the other risk with this is that it has three toughness. So you play it, play your fetch land, fetch, and they respond by killing this, and then you never get the card out of it. So that may be enough that's like, okay, this is just too awkward to really make work. Like Omnath guarantees you the card and for life unless they respond to the trigger. Like this obviously isn't better than Omnath. I'm not saying that, but it operates in a similar way at a cheaper cost, and the elementals are really, really good. And you probably don't have to play this in a dedicated elemental deck, but it is very cute that the turn you play this and then fetch and then you hit Risen Reef off of her ability and then you can play Risen Reef. And if that puts like another land into play, then you get another mana. Like, you know, you can storm off a little bit with this. Yeah, it's also very good with Omnath, like the, mm-hmm. the mana generation leading into Omnath, like you're playing this on turn three. Yeah. And then depending on like what your mana base is, what you're looking like, you can Omnath, when you Omnath and fetch land, you're looking at five plus mana, six mana on that turn, which can be a good break point for Omnath decks, especially hard casting like a Solitude or a Fury or whatever. Yeah. Especially if you reveal one to Nissa. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that like draw engine combined with mana engine could be very powerful. I think it's really hard to make this work in not modern. And so like the power level of the cards that exist yeah. in that format will probably help keep this card from being particularly good because it just doesn't work without fetch lands and really good elementals. So, but so there's one, one the format things, with those. Yeah. One of the things I did briefly think about before dismissing uh, for curve reasons mm-hmm. was the uh, the Burgey Grinning Ignis deck. Like it, it, it really, it really wants a mana engine, like just to put cards into play. And the only elemental it plays is Grinning Ignis, which you always yeah. want. Yeah. Uh, super cute. There's no fetch lines in that format. Uh, you have way too many three drops already. <laughs> so I just like got off it really quickly. But like, <laughs> if you can do anything like that, where you're playing a one of elemental or elf or something like that, mm-hmm. and you want to try to find it really harder, much harder to do with elves and elementals. And you want to find it with Nissa while it being like a fine three 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 in your deck. I think that's like something you could look for, but it's really hard to find that spot. Yeah, but the you know this is a card that comes down and under the right circumstances makes cards and mana, and then threatens to do it again the next turn. And that's a thing that is good in modern Magic. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to talk about a boring card. Great, but I think it's actually the most standard playable card in this entire set. Sure. Which is a Metropolis Reformer. Okay, yeah. This is two and a white for two, three Angel Cleric with flying and vigilance. It gives you hexproof. And whenever this creature is dealt damage, you gain that much life. And again, it is a two, three. So if you're just blocking a two, two from Monored or whatever, you're not dying. Mm-hmm. I actually think this is like a pretty good sideboard card. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this seems rough like, for a red deck yes like they have to point all the removal spells at it before they can try to get to your face because it it does give red grant you hexproof it's got lifelink or it doesn't have lifelink itself but it it has that weird whenever it gets dealt damage it gains that much well you gain that much life Mm -hmm. uh, which is a good thing to have and against any random deck i'm thinking something like emergent ultimatum or or gifts i'm given in some formats where you just 
not I'm not saying these cards are played, but like if you're entering a standard format where there's a big spell that targets you and you want to break it up, this is a card that does double duty. Like it's good against aggressive decks and it has like that hexproof shut off mechanic valve. I mean, you can't get invoke despaired. You can't can't get invoke despaired. I don't know if that's enough to have yeah, against. Yeah, it Rakdos. seems like pretty bad to play this against Rakdos. It does get cut downed. Yeah. So that's not good. That's rough. Couldn't have been a two four wizards. Yeah. Come on, you gotta respect cut down a card that screams efficiency. Side note, I, I really liked Brian Kibler's thread about cut down, how it makes utility creatures with lower power but high mana costs like unplayable, mm-hmm. which is one of the aspects of Magic I actually quite like. When you just play like a piddly one two or a one three, but the ability is nuts. Yeah, you're an Emery Stan. Yeah, that's not even the card I was thinking of, but perfect, perfect analogy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to go on to a card I like a lot. Sure. For a pet deck, which is uh, Nashi Moon's Legacy is the card. Okay. Another Soltai 3-4. <laughs> I definitely misread this card the first time I read it. <laughs> uh, it's very easy to misread, so I'm yeah. going to try to go slowly. But it, it's GUB for 3-4. It has Menace and Ward 1. It's a legendary Rat Shaman. <laughs> When Nashi attacks, you exile up to one target legendary or rat card from your graveyard and copy it. The rat part, probably less necessary. Yeah, you may cast the copy. So we're never exiling a rat with this. It's just, I haven't even bothered to do a scryfall search for rats legal in standard or pioneer because that's just not a thing I care about. Like, If a card was playable and it was a rat, I'd probably know about it by now, right? This is when someone like replies with a playable rat and it's it doesn't matter. <laughs> the reason I like oh, oh one one clarification for the text. You do have to pay the costs for the copy. Right. And it is cast in combat, like immediately. <laughs> yes. So if you're casting uh whatever, some le- a legendary tutu, Malera. You're casting Malera for some reason in your five color legends deck. When you attack with Nashi, you can exile the Malira. You cast it immediately, pay two mana, Malira enters the battlefield. Now you can protect your Nashi if you want to do that. Sure. The reason I like this card is because it gives a dimension to the Rona deck that I actually want to explore. Mm-hmm. Uh, my main, my, one of my main problems with the Rona deck is that it's too all in on this fragile combo and doesn't really have any mid range backup plans, and it's pretty low in redundancy if you're, you know, not all in on Tyvar. Mm-hmm. That's like my problems with it. Nashi is a card I really like because it is a well-statted creature in the right colors. It has ward, which is a little bit of a bonus. And it has this really good attack trigger for the Rona deck where you mm-hmm. can cast Mox Ambers for free out of your graveyard. You can cycle through Oath of Nisses out of your graveyard with Nashi, which I think is really strong because each Oath of Nisses still untaps Rona. Uh and you're doing this while pressuring your opponent, so they have to deal with Nashi, or it's or he's going to bring back all your other stuff. Yeah. And I don't know if that makes the combo good enough, because Retraction Seal is still a garbage card. Sure. But it, it does give you more of an avenue to be, like, a real deck with something resembling a game plan that isn't, like, tapping your looter to try and find a way to win mm-hmm. over and over again until you win. Like, you're actually proactively attacking your opponent and casting cards from your graveyard and doing stuff like that, instead of just being like, I don't know, Tyvar, tick up, untap Rona, loot again, go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really do like that. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I, I think alternate 
game plan approach in Rona. Like, that's certainly interesting. I also just really like the interaction with, you know, a two-mana legend that then protects this by sacrificing. So oh, the Malera example I have. Yeah, I, I <laughs> like, like, that's, like, that's that's pretty cool. Or there's, like, the, the green-red one, right, that gives indestructible. Like, these are all, these are both cards that add another color to your three-color <laughs> legends deck, so I don't know that that is particularly doable. But it it does make this like happen and i i am sure that whatever deck nashi goes into regardless of if it's a rona combo deck or some sort of legends deck like rona also goes into that deck and makes this kind of hum uh so i i think that's pretty cool yeah the real problem i have with i think nashi would be really good in the plaza of heroes style mm-hmm. like legends deck yeah but I don't know if he is necessarily better than Rafine, which is right. like your huge draw to playing white. Like I, I would really have to examine what you give up dropping I'd, white for green. I'd be pretty surprised because it's not just Rafine, right? It's also Iganjo Castle uh, or Iganjo, whatever yeah, the rest fine. of the name is. Because uh, like City one. Empire. Yes. One white mana kill an attacker or a blocker is a really good land to have a bunch of copies of in your deck and so yeah, even forgetting like the other two jobs so, like assuming you can find substitutes for the other two drops and stuff Iganjo and rafine are so incredible in the deck also yeah, there's a chance also scrove is the reason that that deck exists right and that's, so you, you need to be doing something very different to justify non-white and, and maybe nashi can just be good in a pi- more pioneer style legends deck where you're you can play different kinds of mana bases and you have access to mox amber to like kind of power out more stuff yeah uh that's not super where i'm trying to play nashi because i think those decks are a smidge underpowered mm-hmm. but yeah i mean i you, do like you spend your... i think it's got a lot of cool text on it spend your turn casting like a three mana three four like yes it has like upside as the game continues on potentially but this does seem like a way to fall behind against a mm-hmm. lot of pioneer decks yeah it does which is why i think you have to be attacking on your, your other cards have to be like doing disproportionate weight kind of deal yeah but this sense. is more of a redundancy piece to be in like a this is the heavy hitter of my deck kind of thing yeah uh, i want to talk about Obnix list though because i think this card we knew about before this whole set was spoiled because mm-hmm. last time we spoke we like knew about Obnix list and the vampire i think the tutu convoke thing and that was like kind of it mm-hmm. <laughs> Obnix list I thought it was good then, and I, I still think it's good. This is a 2RB4-3 with Flying and Trample, Legendary Demon. Whenever one more opponents each lose exactly one life. Again, oh boy, that wording. wording is wild. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you put a plus one counter on the list, then exile the top card of your library, and until, the, until your next instep, you can play that card. So essentially here... You've got a situation where when your opponent takes one damage, if you ping them, if they lose a life from Cauldron Familiar or your only Kalamville or whatever, you get a plus one counter on Mixless. So now it's a 5-4 minimum. 5-4 mm-hmm. flying trample for four. And you get to draw a card. The red draw, the impulse draw. Now, if you attack them with multiple one-powered creatures, you don't get this trigger, right? Because You, you should. Don't you lose all of the life at the same time from comp? Like- I... I would have to look it up. I, I don't actually know. Let's let's see if they've got rulings on this card. Are they releasing it out? It hasn't yeah. released yet. Yeah. Unreleased. This card will only be released on May 12th, 2023. 
<laughs> so I don't have any release notes yet. I don't know how combat works. It's not a step I engage in frequently. <laughs> <laughs> so let's pretend it doesn't work because for ease. Of I'm not too worried about, about that because we, we want to trigger it with Cauldron Familiars and Mayhem Devils and yeah, exactly. Oni Cult like, Anvils. And the cool part is like you can stack sets of one life. Mm-hmm. Like if you sacrifice a food token to a Cauldron Familiar... You get a Mayhem Devil trigger, and then the Cauldron Familiar comes to play, and you get one damage on them. That's two cards you're getting, and two plus one counters as well. This is basically a Corvold that isn't an enabler, but when you have any engine piece going, it just lets you rip through your deck and kills them super fast. Like, yeah. Corvold grows one counter a turn. This one grows for however many pieces you have. Well, Corvold... I, I, I feel like oh, Corvold... Corvold gets big enough know. to kill it it gets a counter every time you sacrifice every time you sacrifice a thing i i'm just i'm just remembering how corvold works it's been a while since i've seen it if play. you untap with I corvold just... he deals lethal damage is how that card works but i think okay. a lot of times if you untap with obnixilis he also deals lethal damage and has trample corvold i know does not have trample right <laughs> i've blocked i don't know I've how blocked many flyers there are corvold but... with a goose before yeah just classic goose blocking a dragon mm-hmm but if a goose blocked a demon, you'd probably still die. Yeah. Obnixilis will just rip right through it. Yeah, I think Obnixilis is pretty powerful. It it definitely like demands that you have stuff going on at least a little bit. But I think it really only works in the only cold anvil style decks. Yeah. Like the I'm pinging you with my sacrifice engine because we're doing one and here's a cauldron familiar and all that stuff. Like I don't see this triggering any other way. Like there no. are no fetch lands that you're going to be playing in any format where you're playing Obnix list. No, yeah, and shock lands deal two to you. Pain lands deal a damage though. So if your opponent ever it's... has to use a pain land, I think it's not hard to be on turn five against yeah. your opponent's like resolved Obnixus and look at your pain land or your two pain lands and be like, huh. I'm not using those for man. I for guess I'll tap those for colorless man yes. this turn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you you want to be using cats or uh oni cult anvils or whatever and as long as you have any of that going on like get one trigger out of this when it comes into play and you're pretty happy about this you you can also wait on this card like if you play obnixilis then and your opponent just like, doesn't have any mana and can't kill it instantly mm-hmm. you pass turn if you make them lose life on their turn right you still you- get until your next end step to play the cards so you get to ping with your cauldron fillers and whatever on their turn you exile the cards then when it goes back to your turn, even if they kill the Obnixilis, you still get to play those cards. Yep. Yeah. Sounds good to me. I think this is probably the most playable of the cards in the Pioneer format of the Aftermath cards. But I don't know if it'll like Vault Sacrifice. I think it's just like a core vault that you don't actually have to make your mana terrible for. I, and that's really good on its own, I think. That's really important. Mm-hmm. Um like, I think the red-black sacrifice deck might be a good consideration heading into the RC because, like, it's not yeah. that bad matchup-wise to the mid-range, and Omnixus could give it an extra push. Well, I think that one of the reasons to play that deck is that it is advantaged against the Rectus mid-range the more, deck. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't know how, because like my knowledge of that matchup definitely comes from a pre-Shieldred time, and I don't mm-hmm. know how much Shieldred like changes that math up. But it also means now that there are fewer Kalidas's 
Right. Or, you don't know Kalidas <laughs> is running around really. And yeah, so Shieldred doesn't prey on cats the same way that the Kalidas's do. Right. So it probably ends up being like, you know, they have the advantage of their four drop is just a better card generally. So it probably like evens out a little bit. I, yeah, probably do need to explore Recto Sacrifice going into this. Because if Obnixilis makes a difference for that deck, that's something that we should know. I think that's the most standout card for Pioneer in this entire set. And I think it is worth exploring because it does have a lot of... Yeah. It's got the good words on it. No, for sure. Kill you, draw cards. You are still... It it does have the minor downside of your cards will have to be working before it comes into the battlefield. Like if you just play this as a 4-3 and you don't have like anything going on, it's not that great. And, and I mean, it only requires you to have a cat oven going, but your opponent is also working pretty hard to to break it up. You know, like I'm keeping my Prismari commands in. Like that's that's what they're assigned to do. One of, one of the things I like about this um, is that it really works well with the Streets of Nukapena Obnixless because hmm. of the devil token like if they don't Deals block the devil damage, token yeah you get a thing and if they do it's also one damage so you're always going to get a card out of it mm-hmm. uh, and, and i don't remember the i haven't looked at these red black sacrifice decks in pioneer for a while they they haven't shown up recently so i don't even remember if they play up ob- the the three man obnixilis and that many numbers uh the I one i played against today card. cast obnixilis against me i think it was probably a post board like a sideboard card but yeah I, that's why i remember it being like a, a two of in the sideboard or something like that yeah yeah, that's probably the card that I'm most interested in seeing how good it is in that deck. Yeah, for sure. And sadly, though I think this card is super cool, I don't think it impacts standard at all. But it wouldn't take much. Because Onicall Anvil exists. It's Yeah, it's still in standard. So you just need a little push. A little bit more in the enabler. I mean, Wilds of Eldraine is coming out. Do you think they put more Cauldron Familiars in Wilds of Eldraine? <laughs> I mean, like, say there's, like, one more playable card that makes some amount of devil tokens. Then all of a sudden, that that's something. Yeah, no devils, though, on any of these planes we're going to, right? That's an Innistrad thing? I guess. I don't know. It's it's Eldraine, Akoria, or Eldraine, Ixalan, and I don't remember the other I mean, one. a devil-type card, you know? A anything, devil. Anything that makes stuff that pings your opponent on its way out, sure. We're just going to start playing Onicold Anvil and Dreg Recycler in our standard Omnix list deck. Perfect. <laughs> Dreg Recycler is a moderately playable two-drop common from the current limited set. Yeah, I knew that one. Yeah. It's a grizzly bear. Well, teens see a little bit of upside. It's a lot better without Nexus in play than it would be otherwise. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> it's really not playable without Nexus, though. <laughs> that's kind of all the guards I wanted to talk about. I have, there's more down here, but they are they are just the bottom of the barrel stuff. I put a uh, leyline immersion on there because I think it's really funny to put that on a Rona. Makes your that is super it's, cute it's three and a green for an enchant legendary creature that gives it ward two and tap add five mana in any combination of colors spend this mana only to cast spells so you just put all your legends from your hand into play you're not flipping your rona with the mana but mm, that's sad i mean it is an aura so you just get you know in basically infinite spell mana yeah and then that, you know you get to loot with the you know make sure that 
and all the number of cards in your hand becomes like the number of legends that you have in play at the end of this basically because you get to keep looting too because you know you'll have you'll make more mana than the spell costs so you get a couple untaps that get to be spent on looting the only downside is you're playing legends decks so you can just draw multiples of legends <laughs> yeah i guess that is tough and then you're also just putting a four mana aura in your deck which seems a little which is green a little not ideal they could respond to this by casting cut down on Yorona. Yeah, but then they have to pay two more mana for it. Oh, well, they could respond. No, to it. not yeah, if they, they respond to this. <laughs> Why doesn't this have split second? Oh, jeez. I mean, that wouldn't even make it that good. Still, <laughs> no, it's still a pretty bad card. <laughs> like for honestly, most four mana auras that don't give stats should just have split second. <laughs> like, yeah, how could you ever cast them? Right. Like you're not just pushing your board advantage with your four mana aura to just like make some mana <laughs> if your creature's untapped. Yeah, this is perhaps a dream that should not be dreamed. It's cute though. I, I'll give you that one. It's cute. Um, yeah, I don't feel a pressing need to talk about any of these other cards. No, I talked about the ones I wanted to talk about. Cool. Uh, of the other playable cards in set, I think only. Jarena Kudro is left, which is just like a sideboard human that is fine, has text on it. Yeah. Like uh, some people talked about Copper Coat Outcast, I think is the name of it. It's like the 2 2 human that gives all humans plus one and ward one. Yeah, that's uh, probably I think that kind good. of a thing, but pro- probably not incredible. Yeah, it, it's just like, I, I guess if it's. I mean, we'll know if it's good sooner or later because people just play it along with all his lieutenant. We'll figure it out pretty quickly if it's worth yeah. the spot. <laughs> like, I don't have to speculate on that one. I know people are going to play it, and yeah. we will quickly determine if it's good or not. We'll know by regionals. But also, I don't think Mono White is very good in Pioneer right now. So even if I, it is... I have someone living with me who keeps trying to play Mono White. And just... <laughs> keeps regretting it just never wins ever like it's the deck is just not good the matchup the like mirror is somehow 45 45 (laughs) (laughs) yeah humans is not where it's at right now it is just not good you'll notice we didn't even mention it during our pioneer discussion there's a reason for that did it even place in any of the challenges i didn't even look for it in the things uh it it really didn't really didn't yeah like rogues has played more and rogues still did badly so yeah. that, that should tell you something <laughs> we're, we're so low on rogues and feel obligated to mention it not even mentioning mono white until no. now no no and to be fair we really didn't mention lotus field either but it, like it's a deck like people know it's good it's yeah. just it's just like beats what it beats and loses to monogreen mostly yeah i mean we acknowledged it in like matchup profiles and stuff like that we just didn't even say the word human out loud so yeah it yeah lotus field just you know it's vibing over there in its corner it doesn't change untapping its its lands yeah sideboard cards every now and then your opponent just like plays a dinosaur you haven't seen before and you're like oh okay yeah that's a thing i guess that makes sense in there i didn't spend any time thinking about it for this deck because it's not this isn't my concern yeah exactly I do think if you're preparing, not you specifically, CCR, but like you, the audience, the royal you, mm-hmm. that's how royalty works, right? If they're playing Lotus Field, yeah. Princess yeah, I think of it's... mana. <laughs> no, I think it's just if you're qualified for the RC or whatever, I think it's worth 
learning how to play it mm-hmm. and considering it for like something you're capable of playing and bringing to the RC because it is a very strong deck. It's just got weird. Yeah. And you should know how to play against it. Uh, yeah. Well, and I mean, I think playing it and like playing it against somebody who's playing your deck is probably like the best spot that you can be in to learn about it. I feel like I bang my head against the wall a little bit playing against it. And, you know, like I played against it at the last RCQ that I played and I didn't make disappear my opponent's impulse. And then two turns later, I was like, I really should have just make disappear that impulse. And, you know, now I will do that more. And uh, but, you know, I just had to, like, learn it at that moment. And if I had played Lotus Field against a deck like mine and cast an impulse and I like I think I would have immediately recognized in that spot, like, geez, I really hope my opponent doesn't just spend their make disappear on this impulse right now because I need this to resolve to find a thespian stage or a Lotus Field or whatever. Yeah, the, the trick is you never really know whether it's worth countering the impulse or whatnot. Because sometimes, you know, you've got a land in play, an impulse and a Sylvan's crying. Yeah. And like if the first one hits, cool. The second one's going to hit. It doesn't matter. The The thing I think to recognize you is You can't counter you Lotus just, Field. You just want to interact with Lotus Field whenever you possibly can. Yeah. And because the deck has such a narrow range of interaction, if they cast a spell and you can counter it, just do it. Just do like, it. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's an impulse. Just like get rid of it. It's going to make their... You have to get your game plan going before you lose to theirs because if they if you don't counter the impulse they spend their next turn going all right put lotus field into play pass turn with no mana and you're like not doing anything proactive yourself you just you just lost <laughs> yes exactly uh and especially like a soft counter that just stops working at some point when they have enough mana like they get to that point really really quickly so i have routinely played around mystical dispute in game one because i was afforded the luxury to yes Mystical yeah, just, like just hit it just get get like those two mana enabling spells are the interactive crux of the deck and your most with counter magic hitting those things is the most valuable use because you can just throw your opponent off their game maybe they have it maybe they have perfects but you can't make disappear a lotus field so spend it also your counter spells a lot of people uh playing even control style decks with a, a wide variety of counter spells mm-hmm. often make the I played a lot of Lotus Field. Yeah. Often made the mistake against me where you just kind of want to sit back, load up on counter spells, and then just like wait until they're going off and just like overwhelm them with this flurry of counter spells where they're you know mm-hmm. they can't theoretically can't respond to all of them. Like their their important spells are gonna be countered, right? The problem is the longer you wait and you don't proactively do something that they outmana you like crazy. Yeah. Right. You're just never going to beat Lotus Field. Like what if they just find anything. a second Thespian stage? Now they have like 11 mana. How you, you there are not enough Dovin's vetoes in the world at that point. It, it also, if you have three mana counter spells in your deck, like instead of two mana counter spells, right. Uh, hidden strings becomes your worst nightmare. Like mm-hmm. they're just going to hidden strings, your lands uh, pre-combat, then go to combat <laughs> and just do their turn. Yeah. And it's rough breaking up all that stuff. Like you you have to just interact where you can and then try to kill them. That's that's why decks like Rogues and Spirits are really good against Lotus Field mm-hmm. because they just put an early clock into play that's like pretty bad, but it gets better the more bad cards they play. 
And then they just spend the rest of their turns just throwing counter spells at your whatever they can, right? Yeah. Yep. And and right, that that works really well. Holding mana, like playing one land per turn, and then your opponent just ends up plus five mana on you and then hidden strings your land so your cancel doesn't like not an effective strategy. Trade cards when you can, they're a critical mass deck, like do what you can to stop them. Yeah, that's that's you know, post pioneer thoughts on Lotus Field. You just learn how to play against it, and and it's helpful to learn how to play yourself, so you know the points of interaction that are useful. Yeah, yeah, I think you will identify the weak the weak spots in the deck much more quickly by playing it for sure. Especially, it's really easy to tell what their hand looks like based on the second land they play. Sure, a lot of the time, like if you play enough hands of Lotus Field, you'll realize like the second land they play often gives away what kind of hand they have like if they ever play two color sources like uh a layer the hydra into a forest or whatever mm-hmm. they've almost certainly got lotus field thespian stage just rolled up yeah because because they didn't that keep hand is blue mana they didn't keep any blue mana right. they've got it all and so you've got to just do whatever you can from then on out you can't afford <laughs> to play safe <laughs> or, or they kept a really bad hand but you shouldn't play around that if they kept a really bad hand then don't play it safe either don't give them time to draw out of it so yeah, often if Lotus Field keeps a bad hand, they're not going to have enough time to draw out of it anyway. Like, right, because you not don't a cast a single forgiving. spell that matters. Right, <laughs> not a very forgiving deck to just do nothing. <laughs> but but you know, Lotus Field mulligans extremely well. So if you are playing Lotus Field and you don't know if you should keep a hand or not, chip it. Uh, if you're not going to like three cards, you, you should consider mulliganing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense. All right, well, that was a useful tangent, I believe. But I think that's it for us for today. Yeah, we had to, you know, scare all the people off with the aftermath rants so we could get the cool Lotus Field tips out of the way. <laughs> yes. Well, for those the of you that stuck around, <laughs> I, I hope that this uh, uh, top tier level content for our most loyal patrons only, I hope that it was helpful to you. But yeah, thanks everybody so much for listening. Uh, We do really, really appreciate your time. Check out the stream. I don't know. That's it. Check out the stream. Keep listening to episodes. Tell all your friends. Y'all are beautiful. Good luck in your RCQs. All that that jazz. Yeah, good luck in your RCQs. Crush it. They're all pioneer. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Have a great week. Bye.